to ESPN's The Far Post podcast in the iconic words of the 90s philosophers, the Backstreet Boys. Oh my God, we're back again. Anyway, that was unimportant. We're back after a little break. We were very tired and now we are absolutely ready and raring to go to talk about some more women's football chat. So it's me, Marissa Lordanic, Sam Lewis, Angela Christian-Wilkes and Anna Harrington. We're going to do a quick fire review of the final round of the FAWSL. Chelsea are the champions. Bristol has gone bye-bye. We're going to go through all of the results. So let's get into them right now. We're going to start with the champions. It was a blue Sunday for Chelsea. They were 5-0 winners over Reading, secured back-to-back FAWSL titles. We've been gushing about them all season and to be fair, they deserve it. So we're going to go around the Zoom. We're going to talk about how much we enjoyed this game and watching Chelsea. So Harrow, kick us off. What did you love the most about this Chelsea game in particular? Just how they came out and were just consolidated it. Like they never left it in doubt. You felt from the beginning, obviously they scored super early, but Chelsea were never going to falter. They were never going to give Manchester City a chance to sneak past them. Um, I felt like everything came to the fore that stood out for them throughout the season, the ruthlessness, the combinations, the incredible attack, that that defence. They just delivered a champion's performance. Um, They've been so clinical when it's counted this year. Um, The teams around them, obviously, City, um, Manchester United, even Arsenal have slipped up at times or they've dropped points where they couldn't afford to. Chelsea did it once, to be fair, against Brighton, but for the majority of the season, they never really let teams in. And I just never felt like they were going to drop points. It never felt likely. They just looked on top of the world from the get-go. They were coming off this, um, obviously, uh, making the Champions League final and it was just, let's tick this, this box and let's get it done. And you know, obviously, from an Aussie perspective, Sam Kerr doing the thing. Like, she's come into the game as the golden boot leader. Um, we knew that um, Vivian Miedemar was going to be playing in the other game at the same time, which is great. You love having um, the simultaneous kickoffs. It just adds so much. Um, but, you know, the Kirby combination is what has defined this season. Like, Sam Kerr, golden boot leader, Frank Kirby creating, I think, more goals than anyone else in the competition just about, certainly at Chelsea. And the fact that they combined um, on so many occasions yet again, and they did it brilliantly. They just showed that instinctive, um, well, I guess that instinct of knowing where each other are at all the right times, knowing how each other make their runs and the way they follow up. Like there's so many one-twos and so many uh, just creative movements. And it's quite extraordinary for a partnership that really isn't that old, um, the way that they uh, have, have combined this season in particular. And yeah. Love seeing Sam Kerr do the thing, get the golden boot. Love seeing Frank Kirby turn it on again and love seeing Chelsea just turn in a performance that really summed up their dominance of this season. And I was just wrapped to see them win it on such a high note so comprehensively and, yeah, just a a fantastic, uh, well-deserved showing all round. Almost need to give it a, like, a you love to see it or a how good I got that excited, but... (laughs) It just, yeah, it just summed up their season in one game. Clinical, um, exciting, creative, and above all, like, ruthlessly efficient. And this Reading side 
they were no pushovers either. No. You know, like this is a Reading who beat Manchester United. They drew with Arsenal. They drew with Manchester City. You know, they have some of the legends of the game. And one of the things that I really loved to see, not necessarily in the game, but just before the game, was Chelsea acknowledging Farrah Williams, who has decided to retire. She's England's all-time appearance holder for the Lionesses. She has been in and around the game for an incredibly long time. She has a really amazing story, including, if anyone listening to this doesn't know, when she was representing the Lionesses, there was a period of time where she was homeless and she was having to try and represent her nation while dealing with all this sort of stuff off the field. She's an incredible advocate for the game. She's probably going to stay involved off the field as well, which is great. And one of the fabulous things was seeing Chelsea and Emma Hayes in particular acknowledge Farah and, and give her a, a shirt before kickoff, which I thought was really lovely. Probably not the be- the way that she would have wanted to, to leave the game, to, to leave the league, to end her season and her time uh, in England's top flight. But, you know, it's, again, just a testament to how brilliant this Chelsea team really is. Like, uh, this is the best Chelsea team. I think a lot of people have said this, including Hayes. This is the best Chelsea team that has existed in this competition maybe ever. And isn't it such a joy that we have all been able to sit here and watch them and we've been able to see Sam Kerr slot into this team of superstars, which has now five national team captains in it, and to see her do the thing that we always knew she could. You know, we, we sat here and recorded an episode at the start of the FAWSL season and we were like, she's going to do well. We know Sammy. We know that what, she, what she can do in the W League. We know what she can do in America and the NWSL. It's only a matter of time before England and Europe gets on our page, gets on our level that actually starts to understand what we've been harping on about for such a long time. And so the fact that she's just like done it, I'm just like, yes, yes, you've shown them. You know, you have, you're the kind of player who has set yourself a goal, backing yourself, knowing that you are able to match it with the best and you've gone over there and you've proved it, you know, and this is, I think just one of the most important seasons for Sam as an individual player, because it is finally putting her front and center uh, in, in front of the kinds of football people, the kinds of football organizations that bestow history onto individuals. You know, if she's not in conversations for Ballon d'Ors, particularly if Chelsea win Champions League, I'll be really shocked because this is her best season you know, like game for game, goal for game, all, all her stats. So this is probably her best season ever. Um, and the fact that she's been able to do it surrounded by these people and not have to be the Sam Kerr of the team mm. as well. She hasn't been so heavily dependent upon um, that she is an obvious standout wherever she goes. She's actually just part of a team of players now. That must, must be so liberating to be in a, in a setup like that. And I think a lot of credit needs to go to Emma Hayes because in those early days when Sam Kerr wasn't firing, it was Emma Hayes who came out and fronted media and protected her and said, you know what, just give her some time. She's, you know, she's in a new space, new environment, new players, new, new coaching sort of systems, new tactics. She, you know, she needs time to get used to it. And massively to her credit, she did. So yeah, um, this game against Reading, I thought was just, it was, it was the perfect summary of everything this Chelsea side has been about this season. So it was fabulous to watch. What I found super interesting after the game, so both Fran Kirby and Emma Hayes noted that it perhaps wasn't their best performance, but they got it done. And I I found that very interesting in the fact that, like, you just beat Reading 5-0, you've got the championship, but there's no complacency there, which is awesome to see. And I think that's also, like, a sort of testament to 
the culture that Emma Hayes brings to this team and that they should always be striving and looking to do better. Um, and of course they have like the Champions League final next week as well. So they had to get the job done while making sure that they were balancing injuries and making sure that, you know, players are still going to be fresh for that game, which can, can't be an easy feat, but yeah. Um, yeah. I just wanted to bounce off what Sam said about um, the Ballon d'Or because I mean, Arda Hegerberg won it just on club form. So I can't Sam Kerr do the same thing. She's been tremendous in all competitions. She's been utterly brilliant. And I think it's such a testament as Sam said, Emma Hayes, the, teammates around her and Sam's character herself um, that she pushed through that initial scrutiny and um, I guess some complaints um, over her form she's you know sort of slowly 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 built up the assists and then the goals and the other thing that happened was when Peniel Harder joined mid-season there was so much commentary around oh we didn't know if Sam Kerr could squeeze into this attack before and now surely she is going to be the one that gets benched because Frank Kirby's doing well and Sam Kerr can't score goals just some of the like the discussion around Kerr was actually ridiculous, especially early in the season. She missed some chances. She was getting in the, and she'd have been disappointed with missing those chances. She was getting in the right place. Her movement was as exceptional as ever. She was combining well with her teammates. You only actually had to watch and see what was going on to know that things would click because they've clicked for her in the past. Sometimes she's had slow starts. Sometimes she's had finishing that's been a bit iffy but she's clearly worked and worked and worked and she's ground her way through and Peniel Hyder is a sensational player amazing footballer but you can't tell me she had more of an influence than Sam Kerr um, and that's you know Harder still settling into English football as well but the way that they all actually clicked and linked up and there was no sort of ego getting in the way uh, Beth England obviously especially with her concussion issues is almost relegated to a bench role but at times she still started late in the season so the way that they just balanced out all these players was amazing and um yeah to get back to Kerr I just thought it was a tremendous show of her resilience as well as her quality that she fought through that didn't let it affect her game and she actually got better and better and better as the season went on like some of her finishing by the end of the season just amazing like from tight angles rounding the keeper um, you know, scoring from here, there and everywhere, volleys, headers, you name it. She was doing everything, like just lethal finishing. And that's a real credit to her, the work she put in, the confidence Chelsea put in her, and she deserves that golden boot. She wasn't just stat padding against poor opposition. She was scoring in big games. She was scoring consistently. And she was creating goals almost as much as she was scoring them. So just, yeah, an absolute credit to her. And, uh, yeah. Hopefully soon we'll see the Matildas reap the benefits of this because uh, I think she's just taken her game to a whole another level and it's so, so exciting. I did also like, um, I know they had to rotate in terms of, the, of an eye to the Champions League final, but Emma Hayes would have been pretty aware that for some of those players, it's an, just a nice moment to get on the field in that final game where you seal the trophy. Like I thought that was quite nice to see some of these players get on and have their moment. We saw Erin Cuthbert score, for example, like she was so important early in the season for them. So yeah, just a, a really nice, well-rounded performance, I thought, from Chelsea. What was sort of like, I, I guess, just like doing a big love in over Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby and the combination, which we've done in so many episodes before. I think this is probably a good opportunity to really pump up a player who I think has been crucial to Chelsea and a player that 
completely embodies the whole idea of while attack win game wins games defense wins championships and that's Anne Catherine Berger the goalkeeper no one knew who she was when she started for Chelsea really she came from Birmingham and Emma Hayes was pretty much the only one who understood what was happening when she made that signing not too long ago and Berger has become not only the best goalkeeper in the FAWSL but she has earned her first caps for Germany and has probably edged herself into becoming a starting player in the next major tournaments for Germany as well. She has been absolutely outstanding, not just in the league, but also in the Champions League, where you know, if anyone watched the, the quarterfinal, she saved two penalties against Atletico Madrid, which is, you know, not nothing. Uh, and I think she's kept uh, something like, 14 or 15 clean sheets over the course of this whole season. Like it helps obviously having the kinds of players in front of you that she does in Magda Eriksson, Millie Bright at the time, Marion Mielder and, and Jonna Anderson. But in the times where she has been required, particularly in that two all draw against Manchester city, a couple of rounds ago, she made makes just these otherworldly kinds of saves. She did this incredible acrobatic, like fingertip onto the crossbar to keep it to 2-2 and to ensure that Chelsea went into the final rounds of the season in the lead. Like she has been so key for them. And I really hope that this is the season, like it's been a breakout season for Kerr, but I think it's also been a breakout season for for Berger. Uh, And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how she can continue to grow as a goalkeeper as well. We probably didn't actually touch on it, and I'm I'm stunned actually that Sam didn't go in on this. But also, how good was Frank Kirby? Like, man, we we have talked a lot about Sam Kerr, and we talk about the combination how this this game has embodied, I guess, um, the the season for Chelsea. But Frank Kirby was just incredible. Like the way she hit a couple of those. I know she combined with Kerr, but the way she hit, I think it was her first goal. She just sort of drove it up into the the roof of the net and a second goal is fantastic as well just she's just been so incredible this season and um, I think a couple of weeks ago she had a bit of a defensive slip up and it was very uncharacteristic but when the the big game came and when it all counted she was everywhere and I mean you could probably raffle between her and Kerr for player of the match I think Kirby did get player of the match but it just was another game that just summed up how scintillating she was and just to throw back to what Sam said earlier about Farrah Williams, who obviously started a career at Chelsea. It was quite admirable that one of the first things Frank Kirby did after the game in terms of social media was post about Farrah Williams finishing up her career and congratulating her because obviously we've talked on this podcast before about how much Frank Kirby's been through and what she's done and how amazing her sort of comeback and uh, transformation to this next level incredible player has been. But I think that just probably sums up her character and why her, her Chelsea teammates and her England teammates and everyone would love her because, you know, she gets the bigger picture. And I thought I thought that was really fantastic. But, yeah, above all, she, once again, like, I know it was a lot of it was that combination that we were talking about with Sam Kerr, but she was genuinely sensational in her own right again, like creating goals, scoring goals, like a player that, and Sam is number one on the bandwagon for, you know, she should be recognised all over the joint as the best player in the FAWSL or player of the year, most influential player, whatever, however you want to talk about, most valuable player. And I think that was, once again, she underlined just how valuable she is to, to Chelsea. And um, 
would you get the best out of Sam Kerr without having someone like Frank Kirby? Probably not. And it's just, a, once again, a testament to how good she's been. So, yeah, I don't know if Sam has any more thoughts on Frank Kirby because you've had a few throughout the season. But um, I just yeah, wanted to mention one more time, like, how good's Frank Kirby? Because we're not going to get to talk about her again for a while or for maybe a week. Yeah, exactly. Another week. And like she's in the kind of form where you project forward to the Champions League final next weekend and you're like, Fran Kirby is going to do something, you know, and this is like, it's not against no one either. It's against Barcelona. But but like we have such faith in her and we've seen what she can do against every type of opponent, every type of player. She is just a cut above the rest. And you're right, Harry, like the two of them together have brought out the best in each other. They've made each other better already. Uh, which is a scary thought, a scary prospect for opposition players, particularly in that Barcelona squad. Um, yeah, I don't think it's of any doubt now that Fran Kirby is probably going to be player of the year and deservedly so. And I think the way in which we measure that, the way in which we understand what it means to be an influential player, I think Fran Kirby is the kind of player that expands that definition because she hasn't just showed up in the stats she hasn't just scored goals and created assists and created chances and put the minutes in but her resilience her leadership her ability to get the best out of those around her that's all stuff that you can't really quantify but it's all stuff that matters sometimes even more than what the stats do And I think Fran Kirby completely embodies all of those kinds of principles and all of those kinds of ideas. Um, This is, you know, she's had a lot of great seasons in the FAWSL, a lot of good seasons with Chelsea, but this is really Fran Kirby's season, I think. Um, Like all of the journalists that you've seen putting out their teams of the season over the last couple of days, Fran Kirby has been there. You know, she's been there every time and she's been the player that, people like these kinds of people whose job it is to sit down and analyze these games, analyze these players in this league. She is the player that automatically comes to mind. There is no second guessing her place in the best of the best of the players in this competition. And yeah, I mean, this final game, I think was another, another example of why that is, you know, she scored twice. She set up another and just the, the commitment she shows on the field, she, sprints up and back and up and back she does everything that's asked of her she does her job and she keeps others accountable like that is so important and that is so admirable that is so rare so yeah I just I can't say enough about Fran Kirby I just think that she embodies everything in the same way that Emma Hayes embodies everything that I think is good about being a football coach Fran Kirby embodies everything that I think is good about a football player so yeah I, I admire her so much her story is extraordinary and if she doesn't win player of the season, I am, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to like buy a pitchfork somewhere, I guess, and, and break out of uh, this island prison of Australia and go and hunt down whoever makes these decisions in England because you're wrong. And you should, and you should feel wrong. You should sit there in your wrongness and be wrong with my pitchfork hanging out of your eyes. <laughs> oh, my God, it got violent. I was just going to say. In the vein of being angry, I'm absolutely furious that Fran Kirby is right-footed because that second goal that she scored with her left, I'm like, how? how, Your magic. What? I don't get it. It was, yeah, that second one, oh, beautiful. And I I really enjoyed that second goal, the way that Sam Kerr just held it up and, oh, the little run, the perfect square, oh, chef's fingers. Chef's fingers? Hand? Gesture? 
Chef's Chef kiss? kiss, not chef's fingers. I don't know what those would be. Garlicky, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of little cuts in them. Lost all feeling because you burned something. <laughs> Off. Yep, Frank Kirby's uh, second goal, chef's fingers. Chef's fingers, yep. Anyway. The, the thing I'm really happy about for Chelsea is that they were able to celebrate knowing that Barcelona were also celebrating their league title. So it's like two teams that maybe they both got a little bit dusty, but not too dusty because they're playing again in like a week. But, you know, like it's not like Barcelona are going to be super fresh anyway. So, yeah, I was just kind of happy for Chelsea that they could have a, a bit of a celebration, which we'll go into, I think, in a bit more depth later. We definitely will talk about those celebrations, but we'll move on to some of the other results from the weekend. So the one that we, with our Aussie hats on, uh, took an interest in was West Ham losing to Man City 1-0, which is a weird thing to highlight because they lost. But Mackenzie Arnold was saving everything. Like we're talking penalties, kittens from trees, children from like burning houses. She was just literally saving everything. It was sensational to watch. Angela, as our West Ham Nuffy wearing a very schmick jersey, may I say, what did you make of, of that game and particularly Maka? I think, yeah, it was a really great performance from West Ham. Um, we'll probably dig a bit deeper into sort of like each team's season and that sort of thing but it's I think this is a really promising note for them to end on um and yeah because Man City last time they played them they beat them 4-0 and I sort of would have expected that and you would think Man City would be bringing that hunger as well given the matchup that it was top of the table and that sort of thing but yeah um Maka just put in and really comprehensive performance from her she pulled out all kinds of saves you know the aerial ones knocking it over the crossbar when it needed to there was a triple crossbar bounce is that the correct terminology I don't know um and then the two penalty saves of course like massive massive moments the first um came from her own error so it was really great to see her recover there and the second was um I don't know who but someone fouled Lucy Bronze and again the penalty was taken in the same way and she pulled off the same sort of save but Two out of two, good stuff, good stuff. And the goal that um, they did concede was would have been really, really tricky to um, defend against, I think, because it sort of was crossed in and hit Ellen White at a sort of wide angle and she was able to kick it, I don't know, at a, quite an obtuse angle into the goal. So, yeah, I think really promising. I think Maka, has, she's had a bit of an inconsistent season. It has been marked by injury as well, which needs to be taken into consideration. But awesome note to end on and also penal I couldn't help but when I was watching the penalty saves I'm like this is important just thinking as a Tilly's fan this is good this is important I'm enjoying this this is making me feel safe and comforted so yes um I did enjoy that um watching that um we do have well another Nuffy wearing a schmick jersey today as well Anna what did you think of the game to be honest I think I said well, I said about Chelsea, like I've kind of felt for Man City because um, I don't feel for them too much, to be honest. Like they had, you know, they had the chances earlier in the season to try and win the title. But, um, you know, when you're kind of keeping an eye on both games and you're like, or you're watching both games, a bit of picture in picture happening and you're like, City, it doesn't matter what happens here because you're not going to win this title. Um, yeah, I know, once again, I think just to bounce off what you said, um, Angela, like, 
obviously Emily Van Egmond wasn't available, which is kind of disappointing because she'd been in good form and I'd have liked to have seen, um, you know, what she could do in the last game of the season. Um, but yeah, for me, I agree. It was, it was all the, all the Mackenzie Arnold show, like as a, as an Aussie, that's what you want to see our goalkeepers or our players performing strongly. And particularly, as you mentioned off the back of probably that knee injury and then sort of that shaky Matilda's performance to, you know, come out and just put in such a strong, um, strong effort. Like I, I just thought was super impressive and really encouraging and, um, I get the impression she's going to be sticking around at West Ham, yeah? So hopefully this is the sort of thing she can just kick on from and continue to get more and more game time because I think coming into this season, the, the question mark over Mackenzie Arnold was, you know, not having too much game time in recent years, firstly at international level, but also when she, you know, had that stint where she went over to Chicago and sat on the bench and didn't really play bar W League. Um, we wanted to see what she could do getting lots of games under her belt. And I think that game against top quality opposition and penalty save against Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle, like who were crucial players in, you know, the U S winning a world cup. I just, if you're doing that sort of thing against top notch players, um, I think that's just such a great platform for her to launch from going forward. Um, Yeah. Super exciting for mine, even if they obviously didn't get the result in the end. West Ham really finished their season on a high note, I thought, because I think for a while that we thought they were going to be the ones that might actually slip to relegation. And they performed quite strongly to finish off the season um, under Ollie Harder, which was, yeah, super encouraging. And I think that performance kind of, you take that and you go, we, we as a team can take this whole thing forward into next year. And Mackenzie Arnold in particular has shown what she can do and how she can progress going forward. So I think if you're, anyone involved in West Ham, you'd be disappointed to lose, but you'd be looking at so many more positives. Um, and it was great to see also Mackenzie Arnold posted on her Instagram story. I think they'd gone to a pub for their end of season drinks or something. And they had all these West Ham fans um, singing I'm, for- I'm forever blowing bubbles and all the, for the girls coming in. Cause I think the boys game was going to be starting later on against Everton, but as the girls came in, they got greeted with that. So that was really a really nice thing to see. So, yeah, really nice, I guess, despite the result, high note for West Ham to finish that season on. And I think the, the vibes around the vibes, I think the atmosphere around this West Ham side, I'm like very excited. I'm like, when do we start again? Because now they've got consistency. They've had not just Macca, but a couple of players have these really awesome late, um, I guess, spurts in the season like Martha Stewart I'm not sure I think she might be injured at the moment but she Martha Thomas or Martha Martha Thomas Martha Stewart is a American TV show host so not her excited to see what she could do at fullback though (laughs) anyway do I guess she could bring her uh, her fun brownies that she's made with Snoop Dogg into the change room I don't know just gonna cancel myself anyway you know um, what martha thomas can probably make cookies but can martha stewart bang them in at like king's meadow who knows we'll never find out anyway that was hilarious um and yeah i think as a west ham fan as well so avoided relegation beautiful love that and I think the mood is really great around this team because they've got a manager right now ollie harder who seems to be bringing like 
I don't know. He's doing a really great job with the team. And I think him having consistency and being able to come into the new season with a squad that he's put together and that he's tweaked and, you know, knowing what he's working with and not just sort of been thrown in the deep end. That's a really exciting prospect, especially with their new signing that they announced pretty much um, hours after the game. Um, Tamika Yap, what? She's going to West Ham, which is so exciting and will definitely... I mean, we can get into it now, but we'll, we'll dig into that and what that all means and all of that stuff at, at a later date. But that's so exciting as well. And as well as Macca, there were a few players who had really great late runs this season as well. Something in Martha Thomas, um, Hawa Sissoko had a great run in that game. She came from full back, just ran up and nearly scored. It was fantastic. Definitely check it out. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm just keen. Um, and I'm like, I'm when I'm like, when does it start back up? Wait, how long are we waiting? How how much time to go? You know, crossing off the calendar. So very, it's good. It's good to be a West Ham fan and feeling positive. Just gonna cash in on this. I'm feeling good. Yeah. Just a quick little note on Manchester City as well. I guess this is a it's a pretty disappointing way to end their season, even though they did win. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that they would have been looking back at a lot of those moments in the same way that Adelaide United probably looked back at a lot of their W League games and thought, shit, if only we'd scored one goal there or conceded one goal fewer there, we probably would have got over the line right towards the end. Um, yeah, I mean, like Man City went bad against West Ham. West Ham were very good. But they, considering the names that Man City have had, I feel like they need to be better. I feel like they should have been better for the vast majority of this season, you know. Um, I thought it, it's it's also pretty disappointing that, you know, we weren't able to see Man City's, maybe the, probably their best player of the season, which was Chloe Kelly, finish off her campaign as well. She sustained a pretty serious injury uh, in the second last round. And I mean, she will probably miss, well, definitely will miss the Olympics with England because she probably would have been a shoe in there considering her amazing form. Um, but it was, on the other hand, it was really good to see Lauren Hemp, who I think has been really, really impressive for Man City, particularly in moments where players like Ellen White haven't really been doing much. I thought Hemp being a still quite a young player as well. She's only 21, 22. Um, England Youth International, I thought she was absolutely electric towards the back end of the season. And she's really pulled Man City out of a couple of uh, boggy moments. So I thought that was great. And we'll talk about, you know, Man City season, I think in a bit more detail in a, in a, our wrap up pod um, next week, but the Americans haven't, haven't really been too uh, impressed with them, I have to say. And this was sort of the game, which like was a really nice representation of that. It's like so much promise as they stepped up to take those two penalties, so much promise. You're like, yeah, of course, of course they're going to kill it. But Macca, what a what an ambassador for the nation. Take that, America. <laughs> I was going to paraphrase what you said when we were um, organising the pod earlier, Sam, but it had a few more swear words in it. I think you did a good job there in terms of your emotions towards the Americans. Um, and I did just want to add quickly, just a petty little, you know, Chelsea winning the league. I feel like that's good karma. Just I'm I haven't forgotten Man City going on a little holiday around Christmas time, like a quarter of like of their squad, you know. So maybe, maybe if you hadn't done that, maybe if you hadn't, maybe your actions have consequences. Anyway, I'm getting that out of the way. We don't need to go into that <laughs> when we review the FAWSL in more depth. It's out of my system. All right. Angela never forgets and let it be a lesson to all of us. 
um, moving forward in this podcast. Let's crack on to another result. So one that was really interesting again with our Aussie hats on, Arsenal nil, Aston Villa nil. In terms of good news, we had Steph Catley playing an entire half of football, which is just absolutely delicious. Thank you to whatever higher being let that happen because we really, really wanted it as Aussie fans. Uh, Joe Montemarro coached his last game. He had a very ridiculous winning record. Do not remember the numbers off the top of my head, but... Uh, all right, cool. I've got, um, got a camera, so I had it ready to go. I love this. I I will let you say it then in just a sec. But yeah, we had Joe's last game and Arsenal confirming Champions League football for next season. So there were positives in this game, but at the end of the day, it was still a scoreless draw to a team that was well in the relegation battle. So an interesting end to the season. How did we how did we see that one playing out? I think the pressure was off them a little bit though, because they'd effectively well they had wrapped up the. Um, UWCL spot the third because obviously now third place gets a go in the Champions League before the game had even started just by virtue of having a better goal difference than Manchester United who couldn't actually catch them because of that Um, it'd be pretty flat wouldn't you think like especially given the the golden boot race was also still live for um, Viviana Medema got didn't get near it did she (laughs) like um, so I think that'd be pretty disappointing um do you guys have, I think it's pretty impressive for Aston Villa, who um, have effectively, yeah, they've snatched a point against a team that probably would have liked to finish their season on a high note, given they sort of fell short in the title race, had landed a Champions League spot. To come out of that with a, a clean sheet and a draw is fantastic for them. Sam? So, wait, no, Anna, you had a terrible joke you needed to share regarding the Golden Boot. Well, I guess you say... Oh, do I have to? <laughs> Only if you want to. Only if you want to. Pressure's off. I guess you could call her Viviana Medemont going to get near the golden boot again anytime soon. Because <laughs> Sam Kerr's there now. Tough luck, Viv. Let the record show for everyone listening to this in an audio only version that we all just like rolled our eyes to the back of our head and put our heads in our hands. That was how that joke landed. To be fair, you all made me do it. Um, <laughs> at the joke once already in practice and you all let it happen again. So I actively encouraged it. <laughs> We're all in this together, folks. And that includes uh, my jokes. Anyway, Aston Villa, Sam. Aston Villa, I, like credit to him to, for, to, to get a point out of this because if you just look at the numbers from this game, it is kind of extraordinary how they were able to get anything out of it. So I'll just read you some of the basic numbers from, uh, from the game that summarises the stats. Arsenal, 18 shots to two. Four shots on target to none. 79% possession to 21%, 663 passes to 183, and 85% passing accuracy to 51%, 11 corners to two. So this was very much an Arsenal like tidal wave coming up against an Aston Villa break wall. And so it's really impressive, especially considering Niedermar, considering the firepower that Arsenal have at their disposal, that this Villa side in their first Women's Super League season, their first season in the top flight, 
were able to end it in this way and in this way as well, which sort of secured them. I mean, we sort of already knew Bristol were going down, but this point was really important for them, I think, in their confidence, knowing that they are able to fight when the going gets tough and they are able to keep themselves in this league as well. Um, one of the weird things that sort of happened very soon after the game was the club seems to have just got rid of their entire coaching staff as well. There were, we spoke about it in a previous episode where Gemma Davies, who was the, the, the young uh, female English coach who brought Villa up, they, she got them promoted um, quite rapidly as well. Like they were really impressive in the championship. She came up with them and sort of started off the season not too well. And then they had this weird sort of co-manager sort of arrangement where they brought in a more experienced dude to take over the way that it was described by any Luco, who was the the women's football director there was that he basically is the head coach now he has all the responsibilities of the head coach except Gemma Davies is not being fired she was still around somewhere I mean I didn't see her so I don't know where she went um but then towards at the end of the season after this one after this nil draw they're all gone so I don't know what Aston Villa have got planned I don't know what direction they're going in I'm assuming Marcus Bigno who was the dude that they brought in who to be honest looks like a Pixar villain like I'm sorry but you know maybe his only job was to keep them up and you know that's something that we see often happen in the men's game you bring a manager in just to ensure that a team has an extra season in order to address the gaps and he did that so credit to him um, and maybe you would like to think Aston Villa have uh, bigger, longer-term plans that they are going to be pursuing now that they have secured that extra season. A season that is particularly important, I think, considering what's happening off the field. Um, so the, the new broadcast deal that the FAWSL has negotiated um, means much, much more money is going to be coming into the game, and the solidarity payments from the UWCL as well, um, that sort of stuff filtering across the league is going to be really important and is going to allow clubs like Villa, clubs that perhaps don't have the same kind of financial muscle of a Chelsea, of a City, of an Arsenal, are able to at least try and keep pace uh, with, uh, with these teams that are galloping away from them. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about that um, in our review episode as well. And, and particularly in light of the whole Super League drama, and what that means for the women's game and how we can possibly avoid it, if at all. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was a it was a it was an important point for Villa, and it, it showed that they are able to fight when it matters. And so yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, what they do next season as well. Just to go back to Arsenal, um, obviously as we mentioned, it's Joe Montemiro's last FAWSL game. I think they've still got one more like cup game under him. But just to reel off some of the numbers um, for Melbourne Zone. Joe Montemuro, uh, 70 games, 53 wins, six draws, 11 losses, obviously won the league in 2019 and won the League Cup in 2018. They scored 200 goals across those 70 games with Viviana Miedema scoring 58 goals across those 70 games, which is bloody impressive. And um, a real credit to Arsenal, um, who looked like they were actually going to drop out of the Champions League spots and lose one to Manchester United, but finished incredibly strongly and it's no coincidence it was after they got some of their players back from injury um which is a whole nother thing we can talk about another day um but yeah credit to them finishing the season really strong um Montemiro's obviously decided his time is up it was I think it was disappointing at times during the season to see some Arsenal fans 
calling up a bit of, you know, Joe out and that sort of thing, um, given what he's, he's achieved at that club. But, um, yeah, obviously a draw wouldn't have been the note they wanted to finish on. But to secure Champions League qualification for another season, you know, it leaves that sort of a bit of a legacy and something for the next coach to work with as well. So um, Joe Montemurro has been, I think, an absolute credit to, I guess, well, he's been an absolute credit to Australian football and the way he's gone to Arsenal and set the tone there. And he's brought some Aussies along, got the best out of Caitlin Ford, which has been fantastic. We haven't seen quite so much, obviously, of Steph Catley and to a lesser extent, Lydia Williams. But no, I think we're all excited to see where Joe lands next. Um, but yeah, he's brought so much to the FAWSL and it's been exciting seeing him there. So just think he deserves a bit of congratulations for what he's achieved and hopefully we see him achieve plenty more um, in the game to come. I'm sure he will. Yeah, so speaking of the other team that was kind of fighting for that Champions League spot, Manchester United ended their season with a 2-0 victory over Everton. It was an interesting game and I think it both of their seasons kind of had these dips where they were both kind of really flying high and then something happened and they just kind of petered off Everton probably to a more severe extent than Manchester United but Sam I'm keen on your thoughts on this game yeah I mean it was it was a pretty even game it was a pretty rough game uh there are a couple of injuries there are a couple of moments where you really thought oh my god this could be season ending um the scoreline 2-0 against a pretty decent Everton team, I think, was it was it was pretty well expected. Um, I liked the fact that Ella Toon got on the score sheet. I've raved about her in the past. I think she's one of the most exciting young English players that are coming through at the moment. Um, you know, Everton had their opportunities as well. Like it was a pretty well-balanced game. Again, if you like look at the the stats that came out of it, it was pretty even in terms of shots, pretty even in terms of possession, passes, accuracy. Uh, corners, fouls, things like that. So it was like, it was a good competitive game. It was a really fun game to, to end the season on for both sides, I think. And it, it bodes well for the two of them going forward. Um, it is a shame, absolutely, that Manchester United weren't able to crack into the Champions League. But again, they've existed for four years. Like, you know, you, you'll, you'll get there. Just, you know, just take a little bit more time, add a little bit more depth to your roster. I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, differentiators between this United and perhaps also this Everton side and the sides in the top three is that they they don't have the depth yet. But based on these performances, based on the resources that are starting to pour into those clubs, based on the facilities, I think more and more players are going to be attracted there. So, yeah, it's it, I think it was a good game. It was an exciting game um, for both of those, those clubs. And, yeah, I mean, Man United, they sort of just started to waver towards the back end, and I think depth had something to do with that. You know, there's players playing the sort of style that Casey Stoney requires of them, it's pretty exhausting. And you have to be really, really fit in order to do the kinds of things that she's requiring of you. And so at the start of the season, when they absolutely tore the roof off, they played with that style and they were all fit. They were all energetic. They were all excited to get cracking. And that's why they were so dominant there for such a long time. And they were even like leading the league for a good chunk of it there, maybe even a, qu a quarter to a third of the season. But towards the end, you know, as we start to see with some teams in the men's game as well, who um, whose managers require of them an incredible amount of physical sacrifices, they do start to, to taper off a little bit. So they they lost to, to teams sort of that were mid-table. They lost a game against Brighton. They lost a game against Reading. 
so there were just a couple of points here and there that they probably could have picked up had they happened earlier in the season or had they happened if they'd had a little bit more depth to their squad as well. Um, and it's a shame, sort of harking back to what I was saying about City, it's a shame in terms of the Americans that United had brought over. I thought Kristen Press was was good, but it's a shame that we didn't get to see Tobin Heath because she, you know, she was injured um, for the vast majority of the second half of the season, even though she had a cracking first first half when she first arrived. Um, but yeah, so in saying that, uh, I think it's it's a it's another promising season for United. I think they have just further established what they're about as a club, what they're about in terms of their style, in terms of who their key players are going forward. Um, and they're yeah, um, I mean, I don't think anyone can really question that they are. If if there is going to be this discussion about um, haves and have-nots and what this league could look like going forward, whether there is a Super League sort of thing on the horizon in the women's game, I think Man United are probably without question now going to be part of that upper echelon of clubs based on this season and the previous one. So our last couple of results in the relegation battle, we had Bristol unfortunately getting relegated. They went down 3-1 to Brighton. Brighton had a pretty decent season, but I think the main focus of this game was the fact that Bristol were getting sent down. Well, Harry, what did you make of it? I think Bristol had to have so many things fall their way to not get relegated. Like mm-hmm. I think they had to win and they had to rely on someone else stuffing up and this and that. And once the the maths gets that complicated and you're relying on so many different factors, it, it can become very difficult. At the end of the day, the first thing they need to do is win and they conceded relatively early. I think it's 2-0 quite early. They obviously fought back and did score. But um, Brighton, one of the teams that have really kicked on, we mentioned they've got a couple of big results, wins against Chelsea, which came out of nowhere, and also Manchester United. Um, so that's super exciting for them. Um, they're another team that can really use, I guess, their finish to the season as a platform to build upon um, for next year. So that's that's really exciting for them. I think we called Bristol probably getting relegated fairly early on. I mean, we know Chloe Legazzo left, but their goal difference just took a hammering early in the season. And if you're not going to pick up heaps of points, they made a pretty brave charge near the end of the season, to be fair, but they are always up against it. And I don't think anyone was too surprised that this time um, they were the ones to miss out. Um, LMS Grantonio didn't play in the last game of the season. Um, so there wasn't really an Aussie factor there because of Tanya Oxterby is also on uh, maternity leave still. So yeah, sad for those um, involved at Bristol, but someone has to go down. And I think, we probably picked it fairly early on that they were the most likely to do so. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, off to the championship for Bristol. And uh, you think they'd be trying to bounce back pretty quickly, but it's a difficult league, the championship. Liverpool have found that out. So it'll be interesting to see where their journey goes to from here. Absolutely. I reckon halfway through the season, we were trying to do that thing where we were maybe like, oh, but they still could. Like, there's still plenty of time for them to get it together, but it just was not happening for Bristol at all. So last result was Tottenham beating Birmingham 1-0. Novelana Kennedy, she underwent minor surgery, so we're hoping that she's well and recovering quickly so that she's all ready to go for whatever comes next. But in terms of Tottenham and Birmingham, they had very middling seasons and that was very much reflected in where they kind of finished on the table. Any quick thoughts? I think Spurs would be pretty disappointed with how their season played out, especially after we know they only had Alex Morgan for a certain amount of time. They shouldn't play a heap, but 
they would have spent up to get Alana Kennedy and Shalina Zadorsky and they mostly played Alana in, in midfield. And, you know, she acquitted herself well there. Um, but yeah, I think they'd have been pretty disappointed that they weren't actually pushing to really take it up to that top six, I guess. I mean, not necessarily top four, but they were barely just hovering above the relegation strugglers for a fair bit of the season. So I think that we know they had a coaching change midway through and they tried to change things. But yeah, I think it's probably a season they'd like to forget and try and really kick on next season. So yeah, I think they just chalk that up as, well, we didn't, you know, we had a bad season, but we didn't get relegated. Not everything went badly and just try and move forward and kick on next year. Um, important always to finish with a win though. So they'd be pretty happy with that. Absolutely. And I reckon Rianne Skinner will be taking that, using the fact that she'll have a full kind of preseason to do with this team what she wants and be interesting to see how they go next season. So as I just mentioned, Alana Kennedy had some surgery. In terms of other kind of little newsy bits to wrap up this chat, we had to make a Yollop signing for West Ham, as Angela mentioned a little bit earlier. We also had Tegan Micah signing for Sandviken in Norway. So she's going back over there. She was sensational last season. So I reckon that side will be hoping she produces much of the same. And really shitty news, actually. Um, it was confirmed that Nikki Flannery has done her ACL. Unfortunately, it was done while she was at the Women's Talent ID camp in Sydney last week. So... Awful news. We absolutely hate it when our players get injured. So hoping it's a quick recovery for Nikki. All right. So let's, it hasn't been a traditionally structured ep, but let's still finish it off with some how goods because we love a how good around here. Sam, a how good from you? Well, as the connoisseur of celebrations, I could not look past the way that our Lord and Saviour Sam Kerr celebrated winning the FAWSL title. She was probably the first player to grab a bottle of champagne when they were standing on the podium, maybe even before the uh, the trophy was lifted. She sat up on the like the little um, sort of pillar thing that the trophy was was sitting on. She had the the flag around her like a cape. Her social media went absolutely off, drowning herself in alcohol. Like I feel that. I feel that at a deep level. If I like, she is absolutely channeling. I think the energy that all Sams have deep down, including. <laughs> me and especially me so I just loved seeing that I loved seeing the way that she celebrated with her teammates I it, everything was just great like the, the the adorable portrait photos that she was sort of forced to take reminded me so much of like school portraits that our parents forced us to get when we were in high school you know having to sit up and smile politely at the camera making sure that everyone looked nice and not drunk um but then she went absolutely off on her own and that's just like like God, this is exactly what you want from these kinds of players. You know, you want to see them really giving a shit about this sort of stuff. And she absolutely does. So, yeah, Sam Kerr celebrating the way that she does. How good. How good. Just, it, it's just so good, Sam. Like, the, there's things like she looks like she's cradling the trophy like a baby. And, um, <laughs> like, at the start where she's, when she's holding that flag that you said, and she sort of just chucks it on the ground and is like, this isn't getting in my way. And it just absolutely cuts loose. Like, and the social media stuff, like asking Magda Erickson and Peniel Harder to adopt her and be her parents. Like, she's like, adopt me. Oh my God. Like, just 
losing your mind on social media, like just having a great time. It's, it's real classic, like, you know, athletes stay so fit and well-behaved through the season and they don't get many chances to cut loose and have a couple of drinks and it's showtime. And it was just so good, so wholesome. And all know- that was missing was a shoey. That's all I wanted. I actually respect her more for not doing it, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, to our international listeners who might not know what a shoey is, it is when you drink your beverage, beverage, beverageino out of a shoe. Like you pour it into the shoe and then you drink it out of the shoe. Um, and it's a custom that not all Australians are proud of, but it's something that um, some of us do. But it's ours, you know, it's, it's ours. If you're sat there thinking, God, that's gross. Every, no one's denying the gross. Oh, absolutely. It is disgusting. But it's how disgusting, Marissa. Everyone is on board with how gross it is. And yes, it is still done. But no, she was absolutely, if Fran Kirby was best on field, then uh, Sam Kerr was best off the field because she was running absolute riot and it was a joy to watch. But like just, just so good like just having a ball and we know she's missed out with with those losing grand finals with Perth Glory as well and yeah yeah the last you know obviously Chelsea they didn't really get to celebrate the last title so to just do it in that matter I just I just want to see what she's like if they win the Champions League final like how do you want up this (laughs) and I just have to mention like one of the funniest things to come out of it was when a few of the players right near the end of the parade of Chelsea players going to pick up their medal. You just hear, and I don't know, we don't know if it was Sam Kerr. We don't know if it was one of the English players. Don't know if it was Emma Hayes. Someone in that Chelsea team has seen the medal and gone, oh, they're silver. Shouldn't they be gold? And it just cuts through the broadcast cameras. You're like, of all the things to notice, you're about to get, you know, this, this silverware you've worked towards all season. You've talked about how you, you know, the last year's one didn't really feel real and this was the one that mattered and you got it done on the last day of the season. And you're just soaking it all in. You go, hang on a minute. <laughs> These medals, they're not gold. So, uh, no, clearly not quite everything turns to gold for Sam Kerr, but uh, she gets pretty close. How good. Angela, how good from you? Yeah. So um, once more, very in theme with small people being adorable and having, you know, role models. So, yes, um, uh, there was a tweet that went viral that is just simply adorable. It's Anastasia. She is Ellie Roebuck's, probably Ellie Roebuck's youngest fan. Um, And she's got on her wall in this photo like a um, printout. Like, I think it's life size. Actually, no, it's probably a little smaller than life size, given off the going off the size of Anastasia. But anyway, and they're both striking the same pose with their head held high and they're striding out, and it's just so cute. And she's donned also Anastasia's wearing her full like keeper kit with her orange boots that um, her mum bought to match and um, all the gear, and it's just ah, adorable. So, yep, always a how good to see tiny people you know emulate their favorite players so yeah how good it was so damn cute we'll definitely give that one a retweet harrow how good so my how good relates to we know um obviously in february this year um pod favorite and new zealand international rebecca start study um was diagnosed with stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. She obviously had to pull the pin on her time at Brighton and Hove Albion in the FAWSL. 
and they've shown plenty of support for her um, in terms of her beat it by study journey, which is awesome. And in their last game of the season, they beat Bristol, sending them down. Um, but there was a really nice moment when uh, their South Korean striker, Lee Gung Min, uh, scored her goal. Um, she's uh, lifted up her shirt a bit and she's got an undershirt on underneath and it says for Stoddy 13, um, which I thought was really sweet. Um, just still showing their support for their teammate and um, yeah, a really nice way to end the season. And we've talked about them a few times as, um, you know, do really improving as this season's gone on. They've had a couple of really big wins and yeah, to win on the last day and um, to have a celebration like that for someone like Stoddy, it shows the impact she had on the club and it shows how close they all still are. So um, yeah, Brighton showing their support for Stoddy. How good. So good. And there's something very wholesome. Like I've loved how a lot of the clubs have gotten behind Stoddy with, you know, their proper printed tees, but there's just something so wholesome about someone pulling out a Sharpie and just going hell for leather on their undershirt. So that was very cute. We'll give it a, a retweet as well. That's it for us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again to talk more proper in-depth review of the FAWSL. We'll have Champions League final. There's still heaps of stuff coming from us. So you can find us on espn.com.au and the ESPN app. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do, leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to us. We're at the Far Post Pod on all social media, so get in touch there. But otherwise, we'll see you.